Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews and chapter 12, where we want to read a few verses, beginning with verse 12. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. What I want to notice particularly is verse, verse 14. The uh, verse 12 talks about strengthening and resolve and, and, uh, and then choosing the right paths, God's paths in verse 13, and lest we be turned out of the way and go astray. And then this instruction in verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Strive for peace and for the holiness, uh, the English standard says. Strive for peace and for the holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And that, that kind of catches our attention, doesn't it? Uh, without peace, without holiness, we'll not see the Lord. So to see the Lord, we need to follow peace and to follow holiness. Now, one could argue that peace is part of holiness, and that would be correct. But it is important enough to God that he places special emphasis on that aspect of holiness to pursue and work toward peaceful relations with everyone as much as lieth in us. Now, there are two things, two ways that our relationship with others is disturbed. And one is that we are offended. Somebody hurts me. Somebody injures me some way. That's one way. The other is that I am offensive, that I have offended someone or injured someone else. And consequently, there is some tension between me and another person. There's a strain in our relationship. The smile is a little tight or maybe the relationship is such that we don't see each other. But as God's people, 
who uh, are concerned about pleasing God and about getting to heaven to see Him, to see the Lord, we want to follow peace with all men. And whether we have been offended or whether we're offensive, have offended someone else, we have an obligation according to the Scripture. If we have been offended, uh, if we have been wronged, the Scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches that we are to forgive. That's our part in pursuing peace. In Mark 11, 25, and when ye stand praying, Jesus taught, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So when you're praying and this wrong that someone has done you comes to your mind and we all know what that feels like that comes to our mind and we're trying to pray and we start out our father which art in heaven or whatever we're praying and then this kind of crowds in there and we don't feel real peace in our heart there's uh, unrest there and uh, we're the spirit puts its finger his finger on that spot we are to forgive. If necessary, the Scripture says uh, in Matthew 18, maybe you want to turn there, Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15, Jesus taught that if, uh, if, if it is a case, a situation where a person's soul and spiritual life and health are at risk or the testimony of the church, that we have an obligation to try to restore that person. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he hears and you're reconciled, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. But uh, the point being for our part, that we have been wronged. Uh, There's a problem here. We must have a forgiving attitude for our part to be able to to turn that loose. But that's not always the case with uh, relationships, that it's somebody else's fault that there is tension. Sometimes it is us. Sometimes it is me. We have offended. We have wronged someone. We have injured someone. So turn back into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 23. And Jesus tells us what our obligation is there when we have wronged someone else. 
Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So we're having our devotions. We're coming to prayer. And we're remember this this comes up in our mind. Maybe we've known all along that it's there. But it's telling us here in this scripture, Jesus taught, that if we have offended someone, we know that someone has ought against us we and we need to we are obligated by Christ's teaching and as one pursuing peace to go and apologize to make that right first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift our gift our our worship will be acceptable and our worship will be much sweeter if we are reconciled. Things don't always work out the way we would wish or even the way we would pray when the will of others and the feelings of others are involved. But God calls us to faithfulness to do our part in uh, pursuing peace and being people of peace and working toward good relations with others and and solving uh, issues that become that come between us Luke 19 a story that uh, something that happened in the life of Jesus a familiar story Jesus was going through Jericho And there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was a wealthy man. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. He had heard about him, and he wanted to see him. But he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before the crowd uh, as they were coming down the road, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him in the tree. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make make haste, hurry, come down, for today I'm coming to your house. So Zacchaeus scrambled down out of the tree and received Jesus joyfully. And the crowd that was following watched and followed. And they murmured. It says they all murmured, saying that Jesus was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And during the uh, the meal or whatever all they had there, Zacchaeus stood in verse 8 and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, 
This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus had defrauded people. That's why he was a wealthy man. It was common for the, uh, for the tax collectors to overcharge the taxes and, um, and haul in a lot of loot beyond what, was, beyond what even the regulations called for. And if you remember, John the Baptist told the publicans that came to him by the uh, Jordan River, he said to them, when they asked, what shall we do? He said, don't overtax. It was such a common practice to cheat that way. <clears throat> and here Zacchaeus, in the presence of the Lord, was convicted not only because it was wrong uh, what he had done before God, but he had wronged people. And no doubt there were uh, some of those very folks in the crowd that were watching his house and observing Jesus in there with him. <clears throat> and it would be very interesting to know a little more about this story. You know, how did he go about it? He gave away money that he had uh, uh, taken unfairly. But beyond that, he was going to restore fourfold. There's an Old Testament uh, law speaking to that. Uh, what he had taken from any, what he had defrauded any man of. And I suppose he had his books and his records and he could track it down. Or maybe he knew the people that came through his booth, his office periodically. And, and uh, so he settled up with them. And one thing, two words that I would feel that he would have said as he introduced his, uh, what he was going to do to this, to a defrauded person. One thing I believe that he said was, I'm sorry. I am sorry for what I've done. That's part of pursuing peace. It's part of being holy. But saying, I'm sorry, can be so hard to do. Why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? We can think that they'll think less of me. I'm, I'm admitting that I was wrong. It's humiliating. It puts me beneath them. It obligates me to them to say, I'm sorry. And then, you know, if we allow the, that kind of reasoning to um, kind of rule our decision and to postpone any uh, action on our part, 
then we can reason away our obligation. Well, I didn't really mean to. You know, as I think about it, I didn't really mean to. Or it wasn't really that bad. Or they've done worse. They've done worse to me. Or it, it wasn't really, you know, now that I think about it carefully, it really wasn't my fault, at least mostly not. This other thing, you know, just came up and I just responded. I was honest. It wasn't really my fault. Or he started it. Or I'm right. Or if he has a problem, he can come to me. Or I'll treat him nicer from now on. Or even, you know, it's been so long that they've probably forgotten. Now, there are degrees of offenses. Sometimes we can offend somebody without even meaning to. We can even be unaware that we've offended someone. We can be innocent. We had no intention of harming anyone and we just, uh, you know, we were paying, like one time I was going up 501, headed for Harrisonburg, and I um, pulled out, well, I, I made a stop and I pulled out in front of someone who was kind of was coming very fast, and uh, I, I just hadn't noticed him coming. Totally innocent. I wasn't planning to pull out in front of somebody to aggravate him. But he was clearly aggravated. And he went by and made motions and appeared to be shouting. And uh, I, I took it that he was very upset at me. And he didn't stop for me to apologize. I felt apologetic. I did. I really did feel sorry. Sometimes it's something we just forget to do something and we make things unhandy for somebody else. I was reminded of that recently. I'm supposed to um, turn in my time at the end of the week to the office in Harrisonburg. And I'm supposed to do it on the weekend at least, early in the weekend is better. And sometimes I forget to get it in till Monday morning. You know, the depending what's happening at the end of the day and and distractions and whatever. And so I've tried hard to um to get it done. And here recently I was uh here it was Friday evening and I was wrapping up my day. I was going to take care of this and email it in. And the uh, secretary would be so pleased that it was here on time. And because I've apologized a number of times before for getting it in late. And, and I started collecting the numbers and looked and noticed I hadn't even sent in last week's. <laughs> so I apologized. Again, other times um, 
we, I have hurt someone, seriously hurt someone through words or actions, either my impatience, my irritation or anger or jealousy. Maybe I even intended to make a statement to get a message across and didn't do it in a right way. But the point is that someone is wronged. Someone is hurt. And there is a tension. And there is a... There, I know it. There's an obligation on my part to follow peace. So I want to uh, consider a few steps in, um, in uh, making peace when we have offended someone. And the first, the first thing, the first point is to be prompt. To be prompt. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou canst and thou be cast into prison verily i say unto thee thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing this sounds like a serious offense doesn't it but the point is agree quickly not just to avoid further hassle but it is right. And further, Paul said in Ephesians 4, to let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So that puts kind of a limit on it, doesn't it? Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And if it happens at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you don't have as much time. Uh, but the point is, whether it's afternoon or morning or whatever, be prompt. Be prompt. An offense, an offense left untaken care of, untended, can fester in the heart of the offended one, the one that's hurt, whose feelings are hurt. And he can begin to assume that the intention, uh, that there was a motive behind my action or my words that was worse than it actually was. Have you ever had that happen? Or we can be on the other end and we can imagine things and then when it, finally there's conversation or contact, you realize it wasn't. That wasn't what they were thinking or intending. But that can happen, that they can begin to assume the intention was worse than it, than it actually was, or that, uh, yeah, that there was an intention when actually there wasn't. So the offense becomes worse than it was. And the distance between people can grow. And reconciliation becomes more difficult and becomes a longer process. 
And maybe, uh, I don't know whether uh, Tommy will get to Proverbs 18 yet before the end of the Sunday school year, but in verse 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. And that's what can happen when, when there is an offense. The, uh, the offense can take on a magnitude beyond the original whatever happened. And so be prompt. When you know you've done something that hurt someone, take care of it real soon. You know, it, it hurts us too. We need to be serious about this. Uh, in First Peter 3, And verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers be not hindered. It doesn't use the words, say I'm sorry, in that verse. But in, in reality, in real life, in living with a husband or a wife and being or working with people in being respectful of one another and considerate of one another, there need to be I'm sorry's in there that our prayers be not hindered. When there is a lack of peace, when there's conflict and tension, it affects our peace with God. A little later down there, he says, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Don't offend others. And his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. In verse 11. We need to be sincere. We need to be contrite and consider the offended. Think about how it would feel if that were done to me. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, we need to, and we're taught in other places in Scripture, to consider how others are feeling. Try to understand and sympathize with how painful this may have been to someone else. Think about how I would feel if that had been done to me. And um, if we have trouble feeling sorry when we've hurt someone, that would indicate some weakness in our character. And it is something we should make a concern to bring before God to pray about. And when we're making things right, with uh, others. I think it's a good idea to do like David did and to start with God. When he said, uh, now this was a very serious sin that he was um, 
praying about, writing about in Psalm 51. But he said, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in, my, in thy sight. Now we don't have record of what kind of apology, how he handled it with Bathsheba or with his family. Maybe he didn't do well with that, but he started with God. And that is good for us. You know, first to confess, to say to God, I am sorry, Lord. Here I, here I did it again or whatever. I, I, um, I spoke angrily. I got upset. I was irritated, impatient, or I did this. And that displeases you. I'm sorry to God. And in the case of a small thing, an innocent offense, maybe the prayer is a little different. God, how can I so easily mess up and aggravate other people? Help me to be more sensitive and more careful and help me not to be offended at how sensitive he is. But for a more serious offense, any wrong is a wrong against God. And we who have committed it fall short of God's holiness. So we confess to God, we repent before God, and we ask His forgiveness. And then when we approach the offended one, be honest. Be specific. Don't say, have you heard this? If I have offended you, I've, I've heard those, I've seen those. Uh, politicians make those often. If I have offended you. So don't say that when you already know he was offended. Say, I spoke harshly. I didn't do what I said I would do. I took more than my share. I was unfair. Whatever it, whatever it is, be honest and be genuine. Say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was out of place. I sinned. Express sorrow for the hurt, for the injury to the relationship. I want peace. You know, you're saying, I value our relationship. It's important for me to know that we are at peace and love and care about the brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse. And also with it, we should intend. Part of our saying, I'm sorry, is that I intend not to do this again. I intend for this not to happen again. I believe a sincere apology includes a sincere intention this will not happen again. God help me. I, I do not want to be this way. Notice that Jesus said to forgive 70 times 7. He did not say it's okay to offend and say I'm sorry 70 times 7. You remember the story of Saul and David. Brother Dan was 
touched on that last week in the message from Psalm 34, which is, uh, yeah, was in, uh, David was running from Saul. And remember how David had twice had opportunity to uh, take Saul's life and he didn't. And Saul was smitten both times by guilt. And in 1 Samuel 24, he lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, thou art more righteous than I. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And I, I just, I'm going to, we're done with this foolishness. He didn't say that. But I know you're going to be king. And so they parted. And Saul repented of his, of his uh, intention to do better. And so the same thing happened again. In chapter 26, and Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day because you didn't kill me today. I have played the fool. I, have, I was wrong. I am wrong. I have erred exceedingly. So that sounded real sincere, but he wasn't finished yet chasing David. Do you think Zacchaeus had any lingering plans to defraud anybody else? I don't think so. I don't think so. Sometimes restoration is needed. Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus did. I restore fourfold. But that that is part of reconciliation if if it is needed. Saying I'm sorry, being willing quickly to ask forgiveness. It's it's part of Christian growth. I thought that the verse from James on the board here, I just put a part of it up fit with um, the with uh, Romans 1 or at least aspects of it but it does with this subject as well the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits Paul said I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul said the fruit of the Spirit, as it works in your heart, there will be love and joy and peace. In James 5, it says, Confess your faults one to another, that ye may be healed. That may be a besetting sin, but it could also be, I'm sorry.
No sorries. No sorries said. No grief for wrongs done means trouble. It means trouble for us. It means trouble for others in marriages, in families, in churches, and beyond. Walls go up. Walls get higher. Love cools. A relationship with God suffers. Love and spiritual life and growth do not coexist well when there are bad attitudes and things left unattended to. I have a, I have a clear memory of my dad kneeling on his knees in the doorway of that little building across from Delvin's house. We call it the little shop. That's what we lived in the first years after we moved into the community. And he was kneeling there in the doorway in front of my sister Mary Sue, who was weeping. And Daddy was saying to her, I'm sorry. He had spanked her for something that she hadn't done. It wasn't me either. But he was, there was some misunderstanding. And he spanked her. And he discovered about right away that he was wrong. And I just will never forget that. I don't think him telling her that he was sorry. That was, wasn't the only time I heard him say that, but I remembered that. Children need to hear those words from parents. And parents should hear them from children too. Uh, any child, young person old enough to understand what uh, hurts are should understand I'm sorry and be able to say it, learn to say it. Wives should hear it from husbands and husbands from wives and employees from employers and the other way around. All relationships matter. When sincere apologies are made, a sincere, earnest, heartfelt I'm sorry is said. It cultivates in us a greater sensitivity for, for the feelings of others, a greater concern for how others are doing and how others are feeling. And saying I'm sorry fosters love and humility and it mends hurts and it draws people together. It can draw people to God and to godliness. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called the children of God. We, are, we have been taught, follow peace with all men and holiness 
without which no man shall see the Lord. May the Lord help us to to, um, think about our lives, think about our relationships, think about our responses. Maybe there's some cleanup that needs to be done. If it is, let's do it. But let's be sensitive and let's be faithful in following peace and holiness. May the Lord bless us. Let's have a closing song.